0: Staying closer to you, I guess. uh
1: oh that's nice. Hello, everybody. I am so sorry. Welcome to the world of technology. We are running five minutes late, but we're going to make up the time by having two exceptional guests. So you are now on CB Bowman Live, and today's topic is Challenges of the C-Suite welcome everybody and i'm just laughing hysterically at how things could go wrong with technology yeah
0: and- i'm so thrilled that, that things are going so right cb we're all here right now so <laughs> we are so <laughs> delighted that you're doing this program and and we so appreciate the thought leadership that you show so we're happy to be here and and support your amazing community
1: thank you thank you so much well i i don't want to make you nervous but this could reach over seven thousand people on linkedin
2: wonderful <laughs> wonderful we enjoy having them in the conversation
0: we'd love to talk to each and every one of them and we'd be supremely disappointed if it were fewer actually so we're, <laughs> we're on uh, we're all on zoom calls and Streamyard every day and what a great way to connect with people you'd never necessarily get to meet in person
1: absolutely i think it's much stronger than standing on a stage and talking to zians of people You know, you don't get to really see what they're about, see their face expressions, see where they live and really understand them. So listen, everyone, I just want to welcome again, Bonita and Mark Thompson. They are extraordinary people. I am actually, because their resumes, their bios are so rich, I'm going to ask them
2: to introduce each other. So Bonita. I'll introduce Mark first. That sounds like a plan. Mark has been uh, given the title of the number, the world's number one CEO coach. He coaches CEOs and C-suite professionals all around the world, and recently twenty-four by seven with COVID, um, because it's just been so much demand for C-suite coaching due to the pressures that people are under. Uh, Mark has has also been a part of the Stanford, um, uh, Stanford. Um what is the Mark. name the institute?
0: Uh well it's a university. That's a little thing across no. the bay. I went to Berkeley.
2: She went to Berkeley and there's kind
0: of a thing between the two universities. <laughs> <laughs> What's that little school across the bay? And I get that. I know you're huge. And and she she studied under Yellen, the Federal Reserve Chairman at Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley. So she's she's hot stuff and I'm from the farm across the street. So uh,
2: uh, <laughs> I love it. The Venture, the Venture Lab. Adventure Lab.
0: Thank you. Can think of the name of it. New ventures in Silicon Valley too. That happens here.
1: Benita and I are going to stick together because I'm going to be speaking at the Alumni Annual Conference for, for Berkeley. So, oh, oh, okay. Okay. Right. wonderful. Wonderful. It's two against one, Mark.
0: Well, it's more than that. You guys are so many orders of magnitude. They have parking spaces around University, of California, back when we used to convene at actual locations, you know, back in those yes, days. Back in the day. And they they have what it was like NL.
2: NL, which stands for Nobel laureate. And, that, and it, you can only park in that parking place if you have a Nobel, if you're a Nobel laureate are you serious yeah, no no they they have so many Nobel laureates and that's one of the perks of getting that award is, is parking. You get parking yeah <laughs> we don't pay them but we can give them parking
0: you changed yeah. the world you created world peace you get peace parking. a parking space yeah, right that. yeah that's really that's great cop
1: <laughs> well, i'm gonna work on that okay mark you get to oh wait you didn't tell uh, benita you didn't tell us about his past
2: how did he get to where he is how did he get to where he is well he has a background in journalism and he has spent an entire career helping uh, corporations get the word out for to their investors regarding why their company is so powerful um, and he has spent the last 20 years coaching ceos Um, on multiples of issues, not just investor relations, but also in human resources and in staffing and multiple issues. So it was a natural transition to go from uh, looking at investor relations into coaching CEOs and C-suite professionals.
1: So, you know, we have to teach Alfred, we have to not teach, we have to tease Alfred Marshall Goldsmith uh, (laughs) because, are you incringing
0: on Marshall's space,
1: coaching um, all these C-suite people, Mark?
0: Well, Marshall, actually, when I was uh, in the C-suite myself, um, and, which is actually also part of my past, which was uh, I was most recently the chief customer experience officer and then head of Schwab.com, which was really the first financial services online site that really took really got steam in the nineties and now has 3 trillion in customer assets. So I got to know Marshall during that time when he was helping us at Schwab and he introduced me to this idea that I could really have impact as a C-suite coach. And in fact, that's how we started working together was that I'm not infringing on the space, but in fact collaborating, which is going to be the theme of our conversation today where, There were two executives at Walgreens, the $130 billion retail company, that needed to be groomed in a sense towards the CEO's job. They were in competition with each other for that job. That often happens at companies. And you couldn't have the same coach for both. So Marshall and I kept on meeting each other uh, in the C suite where we were helping sometimes opposing executives uh, into the corner office. And then we started calling each other and said, well, we did this at walgreens we could do this at pfizer and we could do this it's all these amazing amazing companies uh and so then marshall is the one who anointed me number one ceo coach in the world and uh as a as a colleague we call each other every day we have the daily question process that we hold each other accountable for so he's been a mentor a friend uh, a coach uh, we cohabit with each other. The two families uh, actually have a place together in New York City, where we share our love for Broadway and for coaching and having impact on the C-suite. So, uh, I will be talking to Marshall a little later today, and and he's such a great sp- spiritual, I think, also leader for all of us in the MG 100, which is how you and I met. Right? This is how we all met as a part of this great, this great community. Benita uh it comes to all this work she was just rated the number five top educator in the world by the global gurus uh she is uh, in the the uh, doctoral program at the university of pennsylvania right now where she's helping influence what we've learned now from her uh academic chair right now she's developing research around a whole new construct in research in leadership for the first time ever do you can you believe and she'll talk about this it's the first time there'll be any research on collaboration in the leadership literature. It exists in sales and other fields as she'll talk about. It's never been done before, Benita, adding to the body of knowledge. And she was perfectly equipped to do this because her resume includes helping transform human resources departments since we met each other, what, 40 years ago. Uh, She has been able to contribute to the the transformation at Bank of America. She was one of the first people to lead off a a new industry with biotechnology and starting Genentech, hiring the first 200 uh, bioscientists. She had the opportunity to transform the way we think about serving our employee workforces through the very first intranet that she was project leading at Levi Strauss. So you go through this uh, incredible, 30 years of experience transforming human resources, you were either excited or terrified to see her come (laughs) because she meant that they were going to engage in change. And that's where our two careers collided. I had the opportunity to graduate from communication and marketing and into the role of being an operating executive, running operations, getting to know boards of directors and, and high powered investors. And she had 30 years. In human resources, so we wrote a uh, what, what became a New York Times best-selling book together for the first time 12 years ago, called "Admired," uh, talking about how you can really be admired, respected, and valued for the work that you do. Um, and CB, you're one of those people we admire most, and she's. Oh, the thank, you, thank <laughs> you.
1: You know, I have to tell you, I, I'm tearing up because, and you know, I'm supposed to be a real hard woman <clears throat> I have never heard and I'm gonna go there a man talk about his wife's work with such clarity and love I am just I'm tearing up because it's so needed and so appreciated
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I'm gonna vote you. Second husband of the year. Mine is
2: the <laughs> first. <laughs> Yay. Well, is good the job, right answer. CB, I thought, good job. yeah, uh,
0: you, you went for being so generous to us and <laughs> a great segue there. So I think that was, double, a good yeah, yeah. You, you, you may not be a hard woman, but you are a badass. So great <laughs> job in uh, stepping up <laughs> in all the, the relationships that you have on the platform. Well, I, I'm so I am so proud of Benita's work, and and I think this is it is a time now to really be celebrating collaboration. And and one of the reasons why we show up today this way is the same reason we showed up together at the conference board earlier this year. And at, and we've been showing up all over the world from Abu Dhabi to um, Singapore. We've been doing co-presentations because we think it's supremely ironic. To talk about working together and collaborating and helping people learn to become better teams in the C-suite, and then showing up there, yes, waving our own flag as individuals.
1: Well, I have to say, when I first reached out to you, Mark, to do this program, I was kind of nervous. I said, you know, he's he's a big shot. He might say no. Just ready yourself for this. And your response was only if Bonita can join me. And I thought. Oh my God, what a fabulous answer. <laughs> and I, went, um, I wasn't planning it that way. I was actually planning on having her separately, but yeah. this could be very cool. So let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's this. Do let's do let's this. talk about collaboration together. Yeah, what does that actually look
0: like? <laughs> yeah.
1: So Listen, here's my standard question, and I want to do that, but I really want to spend time talking about Benita's work because I think it's so important in many facets. Mm -hmm. So let's start with what do you both see as the three highest challenges that people in the C suite have? Let you kick that off.
0: She's going to let me kick that off. Mm. Uh, thanks Thanks for the encouragement and the permission at the same time for that. I, am, I, I, I see our work in our collaboration together as being uh, a person who goes deep with the research and that collaboration really extends to her helping to think about the new frameworks in which we can help the C-suite perform at its highest level. And so in a sense, I'm like the clinical doctor and she's the research physician who's really planning out the new breakthroughs in neuropsychology. She'll talk about some of that neuroscience today. And I'm every day applying it with the relationships that I have with boards and the C-suite. And I'd say the three difficult, most difficult things are something that we talked about just even before this session, which is we've been dealing with, depending on how you want to count it, uh what do we have two three five twelve different pandemics five i'm going with
1: five but i think i'm almost up to six
0: yeah i was gonna say so that's a lot of change uh for the world to absorb now not that change was already a stranger to the c-suite the you either um i'm i'm constantly reminded about how gandhi said we have to be the change we wish to see Mm-hmm. a lot of wonderful philosophical conversation about how change is the only ever-present uh, s- status that we have to deal with in our lives and in our work. And that happens really in an extreme way in the C-suite. Because what it means is that her or his job in the C-suite, let's the chief executive, her days are numbered and his days are numbered. And I think we do forget, we think we're talking to power there, but we're actually talking to a person on a, in a foot race uh to manage and embrace at best change
2: and as we talked about at the conference board in new york uh, that person the ceo is the only person who has 12 bosses so you don't have just one boss if you thought it was hard to manage one boss imagine having 12. so to a large extent it's like running for a political office because you have to you have to lobby and, and find out where the strengths of each of your board members are and find out the strengths of your staff. And so you ha- you're you the bottleneck and of the funnel in both directions. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me just
1: ask you, uh, when you say uh, five bosses or six bosses, are you referring to people sitting on the board or are you also referring to employees and colleagues or how are you dividing that? Yes.
0: So at a minimum you have the people who are sitting around the boardroom table and at a maximum you have all the other stakeholders that are essential for the success of this, this business. And this organization doesn't sustain unless it can somehow inspire and recruit people to make the voluntary choice of coming to work for you, coming to do business with you and coming to be a governance or fiduciary role on the board of directors. What we were talking about at the conference board was you have to deal with these st- different stakeholders in very different sets of metrics that are all with a very crude instrument of your success or failure. We can kind of promote and pay you or we can fire you. There's a there's not that much coaching that is involved and there's not that much advisory than the, that there can be involved. In so when we do our work together in the C-suite, it, it, it comes, at the opportunity of getting to know each and, and admiring and loving and respecting each of those stakeholders in the context of their contribution to the long-term growth and change of an organization.
1: So let me ask you, it occurs to me that, and I'm a little bit of a rebel rouser, so I'm gonna start up something. Um, and <clears throat> it occurs to me that people in the C-suite did not recognize the bottom of the ladder as stakeholders previous to COVID-19. It seems like now they realize that without the general employees that hold up the organization or hold up the triangle, um, that there is no company. Mm -hmm. When we look at what happened in the meatpacking industry, to those that were doing the slaughtering, packing, as they became sick with COVID, the whole organization closed down. Do you mm-hmm. think there's more realization, more alignment, more respect with this uh,
2: lower level or entry level? I, I think that uh COVID was a really uh an eye-opener for everybody. Um and to me, what we really learned from the COVID experience is that uh, a company is not just its buildings because we were able to dispose of the buildings, right? And it's not, we'll drive by and we'll say, oh, that's Apple pointing at a building, but that's not Apple, right? And we can even look at the people and, and we can say that's Apple, but that's not just what it is. It's also this interconnective tissue that allows a company to operate. And that's what has been so hard for leaders to try and, and grapple with. We haven't really, um, explored that interconnective tissue, because it's not just one person sitting in a bedroom at home who becomes the company, but it's the collection and it's the partnership of everybody in that company that becomes the company. And so, this thing that we can't see, we can't touch, we can't smell, is really the essence of what the company is. And to me, I find it very interesting because that connective tissue is are things like trust and respect and collaboration and cooperation and teamwork the, that's the glue that keeps a company together can't see it can't put it on a balance sheet it has no monetary value but it determines whether the company is profitable or not so yeah. or even
0: exists in covid yeah and i and i would just add i think that is what is driven by a strong central core purpose And so the distinction that you're describing about that they didn't get it before COVID COVID came along and they get it now, I'd say is very much what happened is that COVID, as Benita said, provided a very, very profound and punishing shove uh, in evolution and the culture of these organizations and would make painfully transparent where there isn't that sense of shared common purpose that requires the integration and engagement of the frontline workers with the administration and with the customers in other words there wasn't a unified voice in the example that you're sharing and it's it, it was a problem before and there has been uh, it's been exposed in the past but it's never been so So universally profound. I'd say there are many businesses that got that memo earlier um, and many businesses that operate different. You know, our colleague, Gary Ridge from WD-40, here he is just in, you know, the oil business. He gets the highest engagement source from those very same employees and he's selling oil. Why is that? Because he's really been very much engaged all along and realizing he doesn't have a, a business if it weren't for exactly those people you're talking about who are serving customers and and delivering a quality product and that's where you know you didn't see about him in the headlines in a negative way because this is a i guess we'd say crises really create the test and transparency Mm -hmm. Um, you know there's no place to hide and that's that's not a bad thing actually so here's the question if a company
1: we won't say which company, but let's say, and we're comparing large and small companies. If you haven't created this interconnective tissue, um, and you haven't been able to engage previously, is there any hope in making a change now? I mean, have people just totally lost trust in
2: organizations?
0: Not even close.
2: I I would think that there could be more trust now. Uh, We are finding that this face-to-face interaction that we're having, the opportunity to be asynchronous in our work, is allowing us to partner all around the world, not just with the people who are sitting right next to us. And that that has its own challenges, as you know, CB, because finding a way to partner with somebody who's from a completely different culture is it's already difficult it's already difficult but now we have to do it through the computer Um, we can find that trust through our respect of other cultures we can find that trust by learning a lot about the people who we work with and finding out what their motivations are and what they value and how they feel about things um and, and we just need to take the time to do that
0: we just talked to a chief executive who said that she now is able to parachute into the the kitchenettes and and basements and back rooms of people's home. And um, I had uh, another chief executive who's uh, leading the transformation of a technology company. He said, you know, I didn't before always feel like I had permission to get personal. And now I'm saying, is that whose guitar is that? And whose bicycle? Oh, and then the little one comes in and jumps on your lap. And rather than being stuck in the back of a factory waving at, as the entourage of the chief executive passes or be stuck at a microphone in the back of a big ballroom. All of a sudden, like what we used to call Hollywood squares, you know, where be are picture of all the celebrities. You're now side by side, just as we are in this call, side by side with power and yeah. heard by that power and inescapable and, and they're going to take a screenshot and says hey i was just on with cb um and i'm speaking to power here and i'm, I'm getting a chance to, to air my views i'm not pure i'm not pre-curated either it wasn't like who could step up to the platform or to the microphone you're on zoom you're here right you're right there so i'm not saying it's a replacement for the personal contact but i will say that i will get a big shout shout out for the for the executives who are willing to engage, they're able to do it with greater frequency and and in fact, maybe even some greater intimacy because we're. it's very equalizing. And and the other thing is, as a coach, I spend a lot of time trying to get people not to talk over each other. And on Zoom, you can't have more than one conversation go at the same time, which may, means it really sucks for a social context. You can, now you can have these little rooms and so forth. And yet, it, isn't it nice to have what the Native Americans used to call like the talking stick. You know, I'm going to hand that to you. The aboriginals would say like, okay, it's your turn. No, 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 no. Benita's talking now, Mark. Uh, She's still got the stick. And so I think that is maybe one of the unintended powers of this capacity to digitize. That means that you could be in Mumbai today. I was in, I was in um, Dubai this morning. Um, I went to Karachi after that. Uh, Then I went to New York city. And here we are in Silicon Valley now, uh, convening in the same room. And with somebody
1: from Pakistan on the call. Sorry? Somebody from Pakistan is on the call, is on the uh, OK, so Welcome.
0: we spent time in Karachi with um, uh, Engro Corporation, which is probably the biggest and probably best best known company uh, in Pakistan. And, with, and they have a, a fund that they've been using to help people get through COVID. Pakistan has actually come brilliantly through COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a very interesting way.
1: You know, it's interesting, I'm gonna go back to um, executives feeling like they can't infringe on the, um, on the person that they're talking to and really getting to know them from the inside out mm-hmm. and how Zoom has allowed this connectiveness. Yes. People. You know, I have a little four-legged who's probably with his dad right now uh, a karen Terrier, a redheaded karen Terrier, and he lets you know too um and and what's happened is that our laws started to prevent us from really connecting with people because we couldn't get too personal with people
0: mm, and yeah. now
1: we've got zoom that's doing the flip and yep. so um you can com- make comments about the environment that you see people in because it's a natural part of the conversation versus in the office, you couldn't because it's
0: too personal. Right. Right. You're right there. It's a front row seat in that. Wow. Is that a star Wars helmet? Where was that a home project or are you a hobbyist?
2: And, uh, and, and, it, and we're even seeing companies do things like ship a box of food to the, to each of the people and then have a chef teach them how to cook. And so we'll they have events like that. Yeah, I, we send bottles of
0: wine. We've been doing that with some of our clients saying we're going to have wine time on Thursday at 5 p.m. Please join us. And then one of those clients happened to be Gallo. And they sent their best wine to no. each of people. She would open it. She's one of the rare female uh, vintner uh, winemakers. And she's talking about how she came into this world of uh, that was dominated by Old men and uh, how he came and showed up with this whole new um, methodology for for the wine. And uh, tell me what you think, because I'm now online with you. I we can we can clink glasses against the screen. And uh, I say that this is a, a great Wait, we have to get my
1: my husband involved. He used to
0: distribute wine. Oh, okay, there okay, you go. There
1: you go. Oh yeah.
0: Put, put this guy to work as your teammate on this, and, and it makes it even more personal. Also, the thing I liked about this was that there is almost always a narrative or a backstory around, I mean, there's a ritual to opening a bottle of wine saying, you know, this is a celebration. I'm, I'm spending time with CB and it's not just another call. Let's have a drink together. Mm-hmm. And you know, actually you don't have to drink the wine if you don't drink wine and, and a lot of people don't, but the, but the narrative and the backstory and the tradition of saying, I'm gonna open this bottle in your honor so that we can share that moment together. Another great example from a chief executive who's uh, uh, such an awakened leader is Margot uh, Georgiadis, who's also part of our Goldsmith 100. Uh, she has started. She's now running. She's CEO of Ancestry.com. She's former president of um, revenues at Google. So she had a huge, you know, extraordinarily big job, and and where she had to have diverse communities of people that she was advertising to and with. And then she went to uh, Mattel and then she was recruited for the turnaround of Ancestry.com. She just sold the company for 4.6 billion. And uh, she created this enormous value out of two things, out of the community of knowing what your ancestry was and how you're connected to everyone else on earth, to someplace in Africa at the Olduvai Gorge and uh, how we could also maybe learn from our DNA to protect ourselves from viruses and from disease and all the rest. And when you go on a call with her, she has a tradition. I I meet with her every weekend and 50 other chief executives. I spend seven hours hanging out with these 50 chief executives every single weekend. And when you see her every single time, she has a different virtual background behind her. So she started this tradition of saying when she meets with her team, a, she, the first thing she does is express gratitude for whatever they do. It has to be real, as Benita will talk also about around collaboration. You can't fake this stuff. It has to be. Gratefulness for something tangible that you've done for the purpose of this organization, not just for me, I'm not your favorite student or employee. I'm doing this because I believe in the vision of this organization and we have shared values. So I'm grateful to you for your contribution this week to that. I'm glad I could be meeting with you today. And the picture I have in the background that you see of this um, of these toys on the beach is where I grew up, you know on Lake Erie, you'd say. And this is what was what my home and environment looked at the time. And what do you what's in your background? So once we got through with parachuting into the kitchenette or the basement or the bedroom, she says, No, bring some memory and make it your virtual background. And that's how we're going to start a personal conversation. Because not because it matters to me, but because it matters to you. Um, And
2: because it strengthens that connective tissue that that glue that holds us together even in the midst of a pandemic.
0: Now, how would you like to work for that person in a I'd crisis when I you're isolated, when you're going through COVID, when there's so much fear in the world right now, what do you need from a C-suite? You need empowerment and confidence and trust. As and warmth,
1: warmth. Yes. Humanity. Yes. I'm, I made notes. I made notes <laughs> so I could do the same thing. Hey, listen, I want to talk now. Okay, so we talked about change and connectedness, and we're gonna go back to that. But Tell me two other things that you see are strong
0: concerns in the C Street. Well, I'd say building a bench. So the primary job of a leader is to recruit and develop other leaders. Her job is to find people who will want to own the vision and the purpose in their own unique way as much or more than she does. That the the leader's job is to find a place where he can rally a team around outcomes. Because if you get big, and the only way to get big, is through and with the work of other people. Um, Benita and I are uh, very much interested in collaboration and teamwork. You should talk a little bit about how nobody does anything worthwhile alone. Um, wait,
1: wait, wait, I'm going to save that. We have one more challenge and then we're going to go to Benita.
0: Okay. So this idea of building that bench with a shared vision, uh, and some people call it succession planning. I call it building a bench because it really is about having people who share a vision, but own it and frankly are better at it than you are. Um, and I'd say the, the other thing that is the biggest challenge right now is balancing regulatory requirements you hinted at it earlier you know how personal can i really be with you and still not cross the line in terms of being too personal or referring to the wrong set of personal traits that become very much a part of your dna or a part of the way you culturally roll Um, that that our job is not to to recruit and develop people who look or sound like me the the job is Because then, why do why do I need other people on the team? Actually, what I need is a choir of voices. And I, I it was my birthday yesterday, and uh, and a year ago. Birthday. Thank you. Two years ago, um, on my birthday, Benita and I were presenting at Harvard with uh, Carol Kaufman at the at her Institute of Coaching, and she brought in an extraordinary author and thought leader. His books are a must read. And she. uh, she, both of the, both of them work together. It's a husband wife team as well. Uh, you know, she, 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 knows with depth. He knows how to present with, with, uh, with character. He's uh, conductor of the Boston Philharmonic.
2: His name is Benjamin Zander.
0: And, uh, Benjamin Zander was there, uh, actually they were there as a team. And he was explaining to the group how to sing happy birthday to somebody that you care about and that you want to energize and. He had everybody sing it the normal way first, uh, and then after talking about what a conductor does, which is really tap into the fact that the conductor isn't the expert in each instrument that's played in the orchestra. That each fact, he person... might not
2: even know how to play...
0: That instrument.
2: ...the instruments in the orchestra.
0: In other words, uh, a conductor doesn't play the tuba. In most cases, a conductor, you know, she she plays the piano really well. is great at composition. knows the role and the impact of every instrument, and wants to draw the best in in his or her work in every context in the orchestra, mm-hmm. and isn't making all the decisions because it really can be up to the maybe the first chair in the violin section, and she's making a decision about what expressive needs in the, in that particular sonata. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for the the. This full out creative input, everybody playing full out around a common purpose, in this case, is to express Beethoven, let's say, and to do that with great emotion or artistry, and she or he, the conductor, is trying to pull it all together and heard these cats uh, who are performing at such a high level. That's the role of the chief executive, and that's what I mean when I say diverse points of view, because the elbow doesn't sound like the trumpet and it's not supposed to.
2: Yeah, yeah. It sounded like trumpet, the whole thing would be That we trumpet. wouldn't need the orchestra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we
1: forget, we forget the components of music. Yes. That make us all relaxed and happy, but we forget that it's based upon different things coming together.
0: Collaboration of experts coming yes. together to create this extraordinary sound, which is greater and more profound than any of the individuals.
1: Absolutely. So that is a perfect lead-in
0: to yeah.
2: Bonita's work on collaboration. <laughs> How do you like that setup, Bonita? I love that setup because the orchestra is a great analogy of what we're striving for: is bringing out the best in every single person on the team, and that every person on the team benefits from a great performance. Oh, it's
0: great point
2: and that's a main feature in in trying to find collaborative leadership is it's not that a
0: zero-sum game it's not we do it at your expense it's not because i get to do the shot and you can't do a shot
2: right it's that we all benefit from you being the best tuba player and me being the best oboe player that's when the entire team succeeds and uh, that mutual beneficial awareness uh, that a leader can create Uh, among the people rather than a competition, but more of a, this is how we all benefit from the goal being successful uh, is really a key component. And I'm very interested in how the leaders can establish that
0: and draw it out uh, and draw it out
2: in people. That's what brings out the best in each individual because they know exactly their role, when they need to come in, when they need to depart, like the poor guy who plays the timpani, right? That boom, 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 boom. He only gets a few parts in the whole evening, but boy, if he comes in, it can really make that dramatic piece, but he has to remain silent the rest of the time. That's the sort of uh, collaboration that we need in organizations as well.
0: And it's a brilliant subtlety that Benita's pointing out here, because I think there's a lot of confusion between competition on the one hand having the edge to get stuff done but yes, that's some yes. with sharp elbows which doesn't really have a place on it within a team on a c-suite anymore it's more yes. like an orchestra on the one hand the other hand being collaboration what gets to be sometimes seen as being uh compromise i don't want to water oh it God, down. I'm so
1: glad you said that yeah um, because i think that that's that is a big concern of leaders. Yes. Is that they will be seen as weak.
0: Yes, exactly. That in
1: fact, you're seen as strong when you know how to collaborate.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. This is something that Benita is now really exploring with her research in the leadership literature. And it, what it means is the guy on the timpani, the guy who's playing that very unique percussion instrument, what is not obvious perhaps to the audience is that he or she is having to count measures until their role drops them in they have a critical very long time but it could be (laughs) minutes or uh it could be 45 minutes but if they aren't ready at that moment to be the singular voice or or an additive voice at that time they have to pay attention they have to be bought in they have to believe in the in the concerto and 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 their role in it and so our, our roles are different but they're not the same as I guess what I'm saying is that it's not a zero sum game, nor is it a, a, a lack of edge because you still have to be at that moment ready to play full out <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and yeah. have your voice heard.
1: So Benina, uh, tell us about your work specifically. What are you finding out? Why don't people collaborate other than what we talked about? And is there a certain gene that allows people to collaborate, <laughs> you know? and that- wait 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 More, more 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 how can how can we use it in building workplace equality because it seems like it's a big missing piece so i'm
2: throwing all that at you at once yeah we're we're still learning a lot about how to best collaborate in an organization and specifically i'm looking at the leadership perspective of that what can a leader do to create a collaborative environment that's filled with trust and respect and bringing out the best of each person on the team. And how can we do that through systems as well? How can we better uh, build a better um, channel that people can communicate with one another for better collaboration so that you clearly know what your role is and that you know what the role of others are. And you can uh, bring in the best of yourself as well as bring out the best in others. So that is a skill. But what we've, um, what I've recently been reading about is the work that's being done in neuroscience, looking at how there are certain people who, because they are always thinking about that mutual beneficial solution or always thinking about the other person, um, it, it actually changed the changes the neurons in our brain, and there are regions in our brain where we are much more likely when when the neurons fire in that area, we're much more likely to seek a mutually beneficial solution. And it's very closely related to the emotional centers of the brain.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And mm-hmm. so to be able to see on an MRI whether somebody's going to seek a mutually beneficial situation or something that they're just trying to win, um, that is phenomenal to me. Because it means that those neurons that play together or fire together, play together more often, um, we can practice. Collaboration is a practice like yoga or piano. You have to sit down and practice collaboration. You can't just take a three-hour training course and assume that the person, oh, yes, I have that, and I know how to calculate this. Check. <laughs> a check. It, it is something that we have to practice, and we have to bring other people in. We have to seek uh, mutually beneficial solutions. And we have to communicate that there's a mutually beneficial solution. And we have a lot of goals now that are aligned with that. Racial injustice is just one of them that once we can bring out the best in everybody, once we can seek mutually beneficial solutions, we're not trying to win over the other people, we're going to have much better racial justice. Um, We, COVID-19, if one person is left on the planet with COVID-19, we are all at risk. And so that is a collaborative problem that requires collaborative solutions. We have to come together. We have to seek the benefit of everyone on planet Earth. Climate change is another one. We will experience more and more severe weather if we don't come together and seek collaboration and seek a mutually beneficial solution for everybody. So I think we have a a lot of situations that are coming our way. Many of the crises that we're dealing with right now are because we have not perfected the skill of being collaborative. And I think the first step in being collaborative is understanding that we are not all the same, that we are very different from one another. We have very different experiences. We have different interpretations of those experiences. And so understanding that you know I may really like skydiving and you prefer piano playing, um, it doesn't make either one of us right or wrong. It just means that we have preferences, that we have values that are different, and that we can use that to come up with a comprehensive total solution rather than uh, a fragmented solution where no, you have to do it my way. Um, that's just seeing it from one perspective. We want to see from all the perspectives. So that's what we're striving for in collaborative leadership: is is bringing out the best in each person. Um, one of Mark's favorite shows is Star Trek, and it's uh, his favorite show because he says when somebody goes berserk for some reason, you know, they've been taken over by an alien species or whatever. (laughs) People don't stop and go, he's weird, label, and then discount him. Instead, they say, why is he behaving this way? He's never behaved this way in the past. And they try to find solutions and work with the person. I think that's what we're striving for. I think one of the huge problems that comes from racial inequality is that we label people. Oh, this person is white or black or. Uh, Native American, and so they behave this way. And those labels don't always fit individuals. But when we start to see that everybody is an individual with unique experiences and unique ways of perceiving those experiences, then we can start to respect them and bring out the best and harvest the best and and work in a collaborative way. So, wow, okay.
1: Um, I'm not even sure where I'm going to start, <laughs> because it's so rich. Um, but here's where I want to start, is that you said it takes practice. Are there exercises that we could do to increase yeah. our ability
2: to collaborate, and can you share some? Uh, yeah. That That's a great question. I think, first of all, understanding that everybody is different and trying to find out what other people value without judgment. Um, I know, CB, you're in my um, life process review club, and uh, every week we get on the phone and we talk about uh, what we want to achieve and how well we've uh, what actions we've taken to achieve that. And in that process, um, we learn a lot about other individuals and what they value. And there's no judgment about the goals that they're trying to achieve. There's only support. And I think that sort of work environment where I understand that you want to write a book and you want to um, to spend more time with family or whatever the goal is that that person has set, we don't judge it, we just say, oh, I think I have these tools in order to help it. So understanding that other people have different values, taking the time to sit down with them and find out what those values are, try to find out what goals they're working on and how you can be supportive to them these are all exercises in practice and collaboration.
0: It's easier to focus more on difference than it is to go deep on appreciating and and knowing why that oboe player is so gifted uh, and why that violinist has such a remarkable way of interpreting um, this piece of music. And Benita's work is inspiring to me in that regard because once again, it's not a zero sum. The Work that we've done in Silicon Valley for our entire lives—they they call us disruptors, and it's, it's it's not because we want to be disruptors. Although Benita has also been called I a bad. Like she's that. been a, called yeah. a badass by Jim Kim of the World Bank as well. We have that on the tape when she was accepted. <laughs> I love her that. Her I realism. love that. Right, and and the reason is because the, it's not disruption for its own sake; it's to say we all have very deeply embedded preconceived notions about ourselves and others. We have all this hidden bias. And that the innovator's dilemma, because I can't speak to racial issues at all, but I can speak to the innovator's dilemma. The problem with change is that we've not had a habit of realizing that that is something worth doing, that it's always a problem to protect ourselves from, to brace for change rather than embrace our differences, to to drive that change rather than be run over it. And so when we're trying to have a diverse workforce and include all these different voices, that that's the power. That's what Marshall Goldsmith, I held, Benita and I held this uh, CEO summit two years ago in 2018 out here at Stanford, we called it How to Silicon Valley. And the thing about it was that really struck people was how Many diverse voices there were. Oh my goodness! I hadn't thought about. Yeah, we
2: have people from all over the world who are, come here to invent and to find other people who want to invent.
0: Eighty different languages, represented. <gasps> and the the diverse of the diversity of those voices is the power of it. And it's mm-hmm. not about being comfortable. It's about going deep and learning about the power of the differences. Um, it's it, it's about aligning them towards common objectives. Not deciding that one way is right, but that we all need to be acquired to have that outcome. That we want to be the best orchestra um, in the world. That we're going to be, I think you were saying earlier, you're going to be the best life process review group in the <laughs> world. I expect nothing less of you and Benita to working together that way. But for those of you who have not experienced this, what we're talking about, LPR, Life Process Review, ellen uh, Mulally, who turned around Ford and Boeing, came up with uh, Uh, taught us all about business process reviews where we have a whole bunch of metrics attached to goals. And then we come together as a group, as a management team and share how we're doing. And red meant we really need help. And green means we're on our way. Yellow means we're struggling, but we got this. Uh, And that was a place to be fully transparent about our struggle to innovate and our struggle to make change happen. And he said, wow, you know, what if we applied that to a different customer? Why don't we apply that to ourselves? And that's where Marshall said, as his coach, it's like, we're actually doing the same thing, except the customer is different. The customer is, how can we get over ourselves enough and open our heart to the unconscious sort of routines that we have, cultural and otherwise, not because they're wrong, but because they can be so enriched by mixing the cuisines and by mixing the, the, the music that comes together that's greater than just what I have to offer as an individual. And so what's so beautiful about Benita's work is about, you know, it's not about suppressing or compromising in collaboration. It's about f- how to get the volume right and aligning the way we all contribute to the overall outcome.
2: And I think these innovators are frequently um, spoken of yeah. as being humble, ambitious people. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what? Like,
0: yeah. Okay. And, and it's because
2: <laughs> they will ask thousands of people. You know, What do you think of my business plan? How do you think we could improve it? What's your perspective? I remember we were interviewing Michael Dell of Dell Computers. And uh, at the time, I was very pregnant. And, uh, and he, was, he came up to me and, he, and his first question to me was, how can we use human resources to, to bring better computing to an organization? And he wanted to know everything from an HR perspective because he didn't have somebody right then who could answer that from that perspective at the time. Um, and I think that that is um, that is what we're striving for. We're striving for that humility in the sense that we're always looking for your perspective, your way of seeing it. We still set a vision and we still find a mutual beneficial goal. but and so in that sense it's not compromise. But some can see, trying to see the other person's perspective. We're all walking around with a different set of glasses on. And if we try to see the other person through the other person's glasses, then we are going to find the best possible solution. And that's what's, uh, I think, different from compromise versus collaboration. We do need yeah. to see it. I think, well, I've just learned a lot myself.
1: In starting Workplace Racial Equality, I put together a really badass group of executives. And you know, each, we meet every other week, and I say to myself, oh my God, I don't wanna do this. My, my way of being is to jump first and then figure out where I'm gonna land. And they're going into process and procedure. And I'm thinking, why did I put together this group of people? But you're right. You have to stop and listen because it can take you to greater places. Right. But it is so hard because it's your own sense of timing that is thrown off. Your ego is attached to a lot of it. Put that aside. Yeah. 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 And it's it's, frankly hell. But at the same time, I have learned so much. I'm so grateful to these men and women who have taken time out from the insane schedules to support the goal of the organization.
2: And through that um, understanding details of the process, they're also defining roles. CB, you're going to do this. Benita, you're going to do that. Mark, you're going to do this. And in that definition, we can all be better players, because now I can. find you know i'm going to put full in on what my role is because i know cb is going to hold up her part and i'm going to hold up mine i'm not going to let the team down that is where people can bring that ego back in is um really fulfilling their own role if we I'm don't gonna do that you, problem, i'm, I'm going to let you guys coach me <laughs> <laughs>
0: well we've never done coaching before so that'll be great it'll be a great experience being able to learn coach from. the coach
1: coach the coach
0: absolutely
1: i love it now you also said bonita the ability to bring others in and how oh god we only have two more minutes and this is so fascinating so i guess you'll both just have to come back i mean yeah, but right. for me yeah uh, but I wanna get in, bring others in. How do you do that? What do you mean by that?
2: Well, that's individual, each individual you bring in in a different way, right? Because it's a process of finding out what they really care about, what really motivates them, what they value, how they feel. um, And then you can sell them on the mutual goal. Mm -hmm. If you don't take the time, You know, if you have, we've all had that salesperson, they just talk, 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 talk. And they are the best thing since cream cheese and they can do anything, anywhere, anytime. And you kind of walk away going, Gotta go, have another call. Um, But if a salesperson comes up to you and says, I really want to know about your needs, what you, are looking for what you want to attain Um, then we can describe what it is and they can give us a specific solution to our problem we're much more likely to to go with that person that's called collaborative selling and that's Mm -hmm. the process through which the customer and the salesperson define and come up with a solution to the customer's problem and it's not just I'm the best thing since cream cheese. It's, no, this is the problem we're trying to solve. And here's the different ways I think we can go about solving it. Which would you prefer? Getting input. And collaboration is a process. It's defined in the literature as a process. And it's an iterative process. So we start out thinking this is the goal and then by working together and redefining roles, maybe we, we change the goal, yep. maybe we change the roles, so mm-hmm. we are able to adapt and we're flexible. And that's, it's just like a bridge. If you make a bridge very strong, it will break in the next windstorm. If you build flexibility into the bridge and the ability to adapt with the wind, that's when you have the, the bridge that lasts 500 years. Mm-hmm. So I think that's um, also true in leadership. We want to build those bridges because people change too, particularly we're seeing that through COVID. I think initially everybody was, I'm going to save the day, I'm going to find a way to, and now people are starting to really um, find the stress of the monotony Mm -hmm. and they're finding it difficult to build that connective tissue in organizations. Um, So I think uh, we all need to, to look right now and support one another and find the roles and define it and be more flexible.
0: Bedina and I I met uh, (laughs) Nelson Mandela on his last trip uh, to Europe uh, at the turn of the century. We were writing a book called Success Built to Last. It was the sequel to Built to Last about organizations and we were taking a look at individual leadership. And Bedina and I conducted interviews with with world leaders and met Nelson Mandela. He, he should have been the most angry man in Africa. And yet what did he do? He, he rallied white and black, young and old, rich and poor around a bigger dream that we could all play a role in and needed to play a role in. And who, but he could transcend um, all of the horrible years of humiliation and pain to show us the way and make examples of the people of every background to our unique role in the solution, just the way Benita was describing. And I, I think this is what we see in leaders who are built for crisis and built for change. And, and uh, we're just so thrilled that you hosted us today with all these amazing change agents who are being broadcast in on, on live stream. We're so happy to be a part of your conversation with the world.
1: Well, I'm looking forward so much to bring you back. And I just want to tell you that you received a wonderful compliment um, from Chris Simmons. And Chris says, I was skeptical, but they are really good. And Chris really tells it like it is. He is the former head of DNI for PWC. And um, thank you his, his own consulting firm. And we've spoken together at a few conferences and an
0: amazing person. Well, we're honored. honored. It means a lot coming from all of you.
1: Yes, yes. Um, Thank you, audience. Thank you, Bonita and Mark for such inspiring and heartfelt and fun (laughs) interview. And I am so much looking forward to both of you coming back. And I look forward to building an even stronger relationship with both of you thank you like we yeah. Look forward to that thank you and to the audience this has been cb bowman live we'll see you next week bye now bye Thanks.